Well, good morning, community of grace. Good to be with you today. It's also good to be with those of you who are watching on our live stream today. We pray that the Lord would be with you and present with you as we are present together with one another in the presence of our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Well, it is a great time of the year to be together. It's a great time to learn and study as people are getting back to school and doing all those kinds of things. And if you'd like to be studying along with us today, I'd invite you to uh, grab your Bible, or if you need one, the ushers are going to be coming up the aisle with Bible so that you can be following along with the lesson as we're teaching and learning and uh, growing in grace today. And uh, feel free to grab one of those. And uh, if for some reason you don't have a Bible, uh, you do today. Uh, I want you to take that Bible home with you as a gift from Community of Grace uh, so that you can have God's Word in your home with you today as well. Well, there's a lot of things that I love about this season uh, as we come into fall. It officially begins tomorrow. Uh, But one of those things is harvest time. Uh, You know, I spent seven years down in Sioux City, Iowa, and uh, I've been a suburban boy my whole life, so it was a real change to be in a community that was so uh, agriculturally based. I mean, you went five minutes in any direction from Sioux City, and you were in a cornfield, or you were in a soybean field, or or you were surrounded by pig farmers, or whoever it might be that was out there. And uh, we learned a lot in that season. We we discovered some things, the the beauty of what that rhythm of life is like. And, And one of the things that I learned that I really like to appreciate was that when it came to this time of year when we were rolling into harvest season, this is when the farmers and all the local growers and everybody would bring all their extra stuff to church, which was awesome. We'd have a basket out front and people would just bring a couple extra bags of potatoes or uh, extra bags of tomatoes or or peppers or whatever it was that they happened to have around. It was great because you could just go have all you wanted of these things. And, uh, you know, they were a little different than the store because, you know, how everything in the store looks a particular way. Well, sometimes the things that they would bring in would look a little bit more like this, like this this picture here. (laughs) You know, this is kind of a a, a picture of, of what we call ugly produce. Ugly produce. Well, we're going to play a little game here, which is take it home or don't take it home. Okay, so, so they got that orange over on the other side there that looks like it has a really bad wound um, and doesn't look like it's healing so well. So, uh, so who's taking home that orange? Okay, who's leaving it there? Come on, just be honest. There you go. Yep, see? All right, no problem. No problem. No judgment here, you know? And then we got the carrot. The, it's two carrots, maybe three, maybe eight. I don't know how many carrots are really in that thing right there. Uh, but who's taking it home? Yeah, ooh, okay. Who's leaving it behind? Yeah, okay, see, thank you. Again, a few people were like, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking that home. Okay, now then we've got a lemon. I'm pretty sure that that's what that is there. It looks like perhaps three lemons that like merged together or something. It's, it's kind of weird looking. I'm not sure how you cut that up and make lemonade out of that, but, but who's taking that lemon home? Come on, who's taking the lemon home? Oh, yeah, okay, who's leaving the lemon behind? Come on, yeah, yeah, right. You know, how are you going to cut that thing, right? You can't make nice lemon slices out of that. Then you got the pear that's off to the side there. You know, that pear doesn't look all that horrible. Um, it's just kind of, you know, shifted off to the side there a little bit. And, and so who's taking the pear home? Yep, somebody's out. Who's leaving the pair behind? Yep, yep, I know. A few of you would. And then on the top there, you don't really get to see all of it, but, but that's an eggplant that's up there. And, uh, and I know many of you would like, I don't care what it looks like, I'm not taking that thing home no matter what. <laughs> right? So who's not taking the eggplant home? Yeah, see? Just be honest. Right. Most of you aren't bringing it home anyway. It doesn't matter how it looks. 
right? <laughs> well, the, the reason I'm showing this to you is that there's a, there's a movement. You can take that image down. There's, there's a movement kind of going on in the United States right now uh, in a lot of different places. It's called the ugly produce movement. And, uh, and what it is, is, is it's, it's groups that are getting together to take the odd-looking uh, farm produce and make sure that it gets sold. Because here's the thing. All of the produce that you see in the grocery store has all been sorted multiple times, categorized, set aside. It's sorted by weight. It's sorted by, by size. It's sorted by color and consistency on the outside, by shape. All of these different things, they sort all of the things that you see in the produce section. Because the produce section is normally in most grocery stores the first place that you see. You walk in, you walk right into that beautiful produce section with all the fresh fruit, all the fresh vegetables, and they want it to look just so. Because the better it looks, the more likely people are to purchase it. So it's got to look uniform, and it's got to have the right outside. It's got to be shaped right. can't have any blemishes. It's got to be just this perfect kind of look. But there's a problem with that. Because not all the fruit and vegetables look like that. And the thing is, uh, every year, over 20 billion pounds of fresh produce is discarded and put aside. It never makes its way into the food, food lines or in the food chain anywhere. That's, that's an awful lot of stuff getting wasted. So there was a group of people who got together and said, you know what? Uh, it just looks weird, uh, but it tastes good. <laughs> it's just nutritious. It just doesn't look the same. So they started this ugly produce movement where you could buy boxes of ugly produce, have it sent to your house. You get it at a discount and you could eat it and cut it up any which way that you want and use it. So it's kind of interesting though that, that, that categorization that way by putting things into those categories, that's what drives us to want to be around that section, right? If you had a whole section full of weird-looking fruit or weird-looking vegetables, you, you might be not really all that interested in being around them. You know, we tend to sometimes categorize people that way too, don't we? We put people into different categories of good fruits and the bad eggs and the, the people who you want to be around, the people who yeah, you're really not all that interested in being around. And you, and you categorize them and break them down in all kinds of different boxes, right? You know, there, there's people who are from Minnesota, and then there's people who are from Wisconsin, you know, and, uh, and then, then there's, there's people who are from Scandinavian backgrounds, and there's people who are, you know, from German backgrounds, and, and then, then there's people who, who are from, uh, you know, different backgrounds ethnically, right, right, and, and different color skin, and different, you name it. There's all kinds of different ways that we categorize people and put them into little boxes so that we can kind of manage them that way and know who it is that we feel the most comfortable around. Well, that's what Jesus wants to speak into today as we gather together here at Community of Grace. We started a new sermon series called Jesus at Home, and we began that last week. And over the course of the sermon series, we're learning how it is that Jesus wants to be at home in our hearts and in our lives personally, in that metaphor of home. But he also wants to have us make ourselves at home with him. Wherever it is that he is, he wants us to be there with him and know that we are welcome to be with him. So that's where we got started on this last week. And last week what we talked about was how Jesus wants us to feel at home with him in his father's house. Where Jesus was found in the temple as a young child, he felt at home there. He said, where else would you find me but in my father's house? And, and he was raised being around the temple and celebrating the festivals and going to synagogue. And he wants to invite us in the same way to be a part of community 
a community that follows him. It's a personal relationship that we have with Jesus, and it's also a communal relationship that we have with Jesus. And we can't let either one of those let go. We need to live fully into both of those. Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior, and Jesus who calls us into community to be together like we are here right now. So that's Jesus calling us to be at home with him in his Father's house. But today, he's taking us in a different direction. He's taking us out, out into different places with different people. And that's what we're going to read about today. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at the 27th verse. If you've turned there already, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third of the Gospels in the New Testament. Uh, Page 1508, I believe, 1508 in the uh, Quest Bibles. But if you brought your own, wonderful. Follow along with me as I read, starting at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a simple story. It's a short story. Some of you might be familiar with it. For others, it may be the first time that you heard this. And there's a cast of characters in this story that are really significant. There's Jesus, of course. And there's his disciples. And then there's Levi, who was a tax collector. And then there's this group called the Pharisees who show up. And each one of them is really critical to what Jesus is trying to teach us through this passage. Let's start by talking about the tax collectors. The tax collectors. Who likes it when the tax man cometh? Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, no hands go up. Yep. Sorry about that, Gary. One of, one of our church members is a tax collector. He reminded me of that after church today. I, said, I still love you. I still love you. But in that time period, in the time period of Jesus, tax collectors were amongst the worst, most notorious, most vilified people in all of the community. Why? Well, you see, in that day and age, Judea and the people of God in that area were under foreign rule. They were occupied by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire demanded taxes from those places that they had conquered. That was how they kept the whole machine running. And in order to to do it in such a way that would keep the whole machine running, they didn't just send Roman soldiers to every door demanding taxes from people. No, instead they recruited people from the conquered people to come and collect the taxes for them. So it was kind of an inside way of, of keeping people at bay, but also letting it not be just these awful Roman soldiers who were doing this. It was your own next door neighbors who might be coming and doing this. So these tax collectors were viewed as treasonous. They were thought of as liars, as deceivers, as people who were were the bottom rung of society because it's not like they just collected taxes. They collected a little extra. 
See, there were two different groups of these tax collectors. There was one group that worked directly for the Roman governor. They worked right for them personally. And in order to become a tax collector, you had to bid on the position. It was a position that you could bid on in order to get work. Well, that seems kind of strange. Well, what it did is it made sure that the richest people were the ones who got these positions. And the richest people would go around as these collectors for the Roman Empire, and they could set the rate. So they could go to people's homes, and they could tell them what it is that they wanted, and they were well compensated because anything above and beyond what the Roman government required for them, they got to keep. So they get to set the rate at whatever they wanted. And they could set it differently for different people. They could change different things for their friends versus those who were down the street. However it is they managed it, as long as they got their number, they were good. Well, you can imagine how people felt about having somebody come in next door on behalf of the power that is occupying your land and telling you that you have to pay taxes to them. And then there was another group. There was a group that were tax collectors that they called the tax farmers. And by farmers, it meant that they were the ones who dealt with other kinds of taxes. Because you see, there were all kinds of different taxes. There were land taxes, there were usury taxes, there were a lot of different kind of taxes that took place. But some of those taxes took place on traded goods. So when somebody would come in from another place and would try to trade their goods and, and have an exchange back and forth, well, these tax collectors were there to, to take a skim off the top. And they, they would receive that in goods. So they would get a chunk of whatever it is that you brought to come and, and share. So if you were coming to, to town and you had huge vats full of, of uh, well, whatever, you had, had tons of tomatoes that you were coming and bringing in to sell, well, they would come and they'd take a cut of that number of tomatoes and they would keep it for themselves. So that was their way of enriching themselves, was to be able to take their cut. And it was all endorsed by the government and all empowered by the local people. So people did not think kindly of these folks at all. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just personal for them. It was religious and spiritual for them. Anybody who was a tax collector was completely cut out of society. They weren't allowed to worship in the temple. They weren't allowed to worship in synagogue with other people. They couldn't testify in a court case because they were considered such awful liars that they couldn't be trusted. And in fact, you as a Jewish person could break one of the Ten Commandments and be all right doing that with a tax collector. You could lie to them. You could lie to tax collectors with absolutely no repercussions. This is the bottom rung, folks. These are the people who everybody loved to hate. You just couldn't get further away from the center of society and from the best and the brightest than you could with the tax collectors. But then there's another crowd. And that crowd is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are at the exact opposite pole as far as the community and the culture was considered. These were the people who, like in the Pharisaical prayer that we heard a little bit earlier, who could honestly say, hey, you know what? I'm not a robber. I'm not a thief. I do good. I actually fulfill the law and, and ask other people to fulfill the law too. I'm as good a practicing Jewish person as you will ever find. These are the people you would hope would be your next door neighbors. Because they weren't going to cheat you out of things. Now, they may look at some of the stuff you're doing and kind of be like, well, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. But these were the people who were the model citizens. And people wanted to be associated with them. 
And nobody wanted to be associated with tax collectors. So you got the Pharisees on one hand, the tax collectors on the other hand, and then there's Jesus. Jesus shows up and he's calling together disciples. He's calling people to follow him as any good rabbi would do. He's a teacher and a rabbi and was respected. So he would call together followers, people who he wanted to, to have be around him, to walk in the dust of his feet so that they would hear about the good news. They would hear about God's word. They would begin to not only hear and learn, but they would become like the rabbi. They would become like their master. That was how it worked in those kind of relationships. And Jesus went out and he found this really wide variety of people to start following him. Some of them were stinky fishermen. Others were brothers who, who, who seemed to have an agenda of their own of wanting to kind of be powerful. Some of them were religious zealots. So these were the people who, who didn't just uh, honor God and were kind of upset with the Romans. These are the people who were actively looking to find a way to sabotage the Romans. And he brought all of these wild people together and said, hey, come follow me. I want you to learn something about God and about who he really is. And along the road, one of those who he finds is a tax collector named Levi. The last person you would ever expect a Jewish rabbi to ask to come and follow him. But there he is in his tax booth, probably somewhere near Lake Galilee where Jesus had been frequenting and gathering together his other disciples. And he comes to Levi and he says, Levi, come follow me. Leave the rest of it behind and just come follow me me. And Levi drops everything he has and goes to follow Jesus because he can't believe that somebody like Jesus would even consider talking to him or inviting him to follow. So Levi drops everything, comes to follow Jesus, and he's so excited he decides to throw a party in Jesus' honor. He's going to throw a serious party at his house. And he's going to invite all of his friends. Who were the friends of tax collectors? Other tax collectors. That's the only friends they had. Tax collectors and other kinds of sinners. The robbers, the thieves, the prostitutes. These are the people who would show up at these kind of parties. And they throw this party in honor of Jesus. And Jesus shows up. And he doesn't show up alone. He shows up with his disciples. You ever heard of guilt by association? Here it is, folks. As crystal clear as you can get. Jesus is hanging out with these despicable, horrible people called tax collectors. And he's eating with them. And he's partying with them. And he seems to be, have no problem being around and being in their presence. And the Pharisees get wind of this. And they see this. And they come and they start talking, not to Jesus, but to his disciples. Putting them in the most uncomfortable positions. Yeah, you know, can you just imagine where those disciples are kind of like, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I didn't really expect that I was going to wind up here. One of the Pharisees comes up to him and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Seriously. Why are you here eating with tax collectors and sinners? And that's where Jesus brings this amazing statement back to them. He says, you know what? Um, 
you don't come, doctors don't come to find healthy people. They come to treat the sick. And I didn't come to, to call righteous people. I came to call sinners to repentance. Now, there's something pretty ironic about that statement, isn't there? Because he's talking to these Pharisees. And he's trying to make it clear to them what it is that's really going on. And it sounds like he's just saying, well, you know what? I didn't come for you righteous people. I came for the sinners to call them into repentance. He's kind of sticking it to the Pharisees a little bit, isn't he? He's kind of saying, hey, you know, if somebody had come up to him and said, hey, why are you eating with sinners? Jesus would just as easily say, well, you know what? Because I've got nobody else to eat with. Because <laughs> that's it. Everybody there was a sinner. And Jesus made no distinction between the Pharisees and the tax collectors. They were all sinners in their own way for one reason or another. And Jesus was there to make the point. You know, sometimes you just have to think that Jesus would, would be looking forward to those moments when he could just lay out something like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm a doctor and I'm not here to, to heal healthy people. I'm here to heal the sick. Something just so obvious that you wanted to say. You know, I, I had one of those opportunities back at my last congregation and I probably shouldn't have enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> but there was a gentleman who used to love to come up to me after services and after sermons and he'd come up and he'd say, God bless him. He's already in heaven. He's, he's with the Lord now so he'll be laughing along with me but he used to come up most Sundays and he'd say hey when are you going to preach on the Ten Commandments you've heard of those haven't you <laughs> I'd kind of smile and say yeah thanks pass him along as I shook his hand and he said it over the course of a number of months he wouldn't say it every time but he'd always kind of stick a little thing in there of, hey so hey, you're going to teach about the Ten Commandments finally Finally, one time I just couldn't resist. I looked at him. I said, sure, it's a good idea. Which one are you struggling with? <laughs> that was the last time he asked me that question. <laughs> but it's true, right? We can so quickly look at everybody else and look at the circumstances that they're in and decide that whatever level I'm on, uh, I'm not with them because those people really need to hear that message. Those other people, they really need to hear about this. And it can come from whatever side you're on. It's always easy to look at somebody else's situation and compare your situation to theirs and figure that yours is better. Because you know what? One of the greatest definitions I've heard for being a Pharisee is, a Pharisee is just somebody who doesn't sin the same way as you. Where we just kind of go, well, you know what? I'm not really interested in talking about my sin. I'm interested in talking about your sin. It's so easy to fall into that trap. And Jesus just won't take the bait. Because Jesus is like, hey, you know what? I'm here to eat with tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees and everybody else because you're all sinners. And everybody needs salvation and everybody needs grace and everybody needs forgiveness. And sometimes we forget that. And I'm no exception. You know, when I was living in Brooklyn Park, which feels like a long time ago now, but it really wasn't all that long ago, we were in a neighborhood, and when we moved in, we were trying to kind of get to know the neighbors around us as best we could. 
And uh, you quickly find out that a lot of the people around you are very different than you are. <laughs> you discover that many of them really aren't going to church, like at all, anywhere. So you try to kind of find some common ground, but you, you can't help but feel a little bit awkward and a little weird, like, I just don't really know what we have in common. So for the most part, we kind of kept to ourselves. And, and then there, there was a family right across the street from us who uh, had moved back from California. And, and so they were, they were always out in their front yard as long as the weather was warm with a fire pit. It seemed like every night they'd be out there with a fire pit. And they'd have a whole group of people who would hang out there around the fire pit and they'd be drinking beer and laughing and hooting and hollering. So one time I felt, well, you know what? I should go do the Christian thing. <laughs> go introduce myself. So I walked up the sidewalk, came up and said, hi, I'm your new neighbor across the street. My name's Darren. Hey, Darren, you want a beer? Sure, sure, I'll have a beer. Drink a little beer, talk to them a little bit, and it doesn't take long before somebody asks, so what do you do? Uh, well, I'm a pastor who's currently not serving a congregation. Oh, that ends the conversation pretty fast. <laughs> Took a couple more sips of the beer and went, well, good to see you. I'll be over here. Didn't really interact a whole lot more with them. Every once in a while, we'd wave to each other in the driveway. That was about it. Well, a series of months went by. And we got some news from some other neighbors about a tragedy that had happened in that family. You see, the, the ex-husband of the woman of the house um, had recently passed away from a drug overdose. And it was tragic, and it was heartbreaking. And she was living with a new boyfriend in the house, and you know, as I say, relationships are complicated. <laughs> The new boyfriend happened to even know the ex-husband and used to have it. Was, it was just a, a web of all kinds of pain and difficulty. But we found out that this had happened, and, and so we thought, well, what, what can we do? How can we just try and kind of be good neighbors? And my wife, Angela, who has a gift of hospitality, was like, well, how about we do what neighbors often do? We'll make some soup, we'll make some fresh bread, and, and I'll send you and Kaylee over to, to deliver it because my daughter, Kaylee, was the same age as, as the youngest daughter in their home. So, okay, that seems like a neighborly thing to do. Well, the night that we chose to do this, it looked like there was a pretty big gathering over there at the house. There were a number of people who had started to show up, and, and uh, we weren't quite sure what it was about, but, but they were gathering there, and I thought, well, this is probably as good a time as any. So, so I put on my least pastorly-looking stuff, <laughs> grabbed the bag with the soup and with the bread, and grabbed Kaylee by the other hand, and started walking our way across the street. And there was a fire pit sitting right out there in the front. One guy sitting by the fire pit with a few beer bottles kind of strewn around him. He looked at me and said, Hey, welcome, friend. I said, Thank you. Um, yeah, so we kind of kept walking by as I held Kaylee a little closer. <laughs> Walked up to the front door, knocked on the door, figured, Hey, we'll just leave some blessing with them. Just let them know, Hey, we're across the street and we just wanted to kind of let you know that we're thinking about you and everything. So, so the lady of the house, I'm going to call her Jen, she, she came to the front door and she saw me. She's like, oh, oh, thank you. That's, that's so kind. Could you, could you come in for a minute? 
sure. So I, I came inside and she said, would you be willing to meet with me and, and my boyfriend just for a few minutes here in the living room? Of course. So I went in and sat down with them and, and the two of them just started pouring out their heart about what had been going on and how tragic this was and how they just didn't know how to make sense of it and how there was guilt about how the relationship had ended and, and how, how hard this was falling on their daughter and, and all of these different things. And I just sat to just kind of listen. Didn't try to say anything profound. Just sat with a listening ear. When we got done, they said, hey, could you... You know, could you just pray a little, you know, something or whatever? And this was Jen who was saying this. Her boyfriend was kind of like, I don't really know what to do with any of this right now, but, but, but this, this hurts. So I said, sure. So I, I said a quick and simple prayer just to, to bless them and to, to try and let them know of God's grace and love. And I was getting ready to, to head out, and, and Jen said, hey, you know what? Um, you probably see all the cars and everything. We got, a, we got a group that's out in the garage, just some folks who came over um, after the funeral, and we're just, we're just trying to just kind of hang out with each other and, and, uh, and, and talk a little bit about, about my ex-husband. And, and so, you know, if, if you'd like, why don't you just head on in and, and, you know, grab a beer and just, you know, love if you could just kind of say hello to him. Sure, no problem. So Jen held back and I walked in the door. Again, I'm looking as unpastorly as I possibly can. Hey, how you doing? Hi, I'm, I'm Darren. I'm just across the street here. Just wanted to share with you all how, how sorry we are about what's happened. And Hey, okay, hey, you want a beer? Sure. And the whole room kind of had that stale beer, stale cigarettes, lots of tears and lots of sorrow and lots of mixed emotions kind of feeling. So I shook some hands and greeted some folks and drank my beer. And then Jen came walking into the room. And she said, hey, everybody. Hey, this is, this is Darren from across the street. He's a pastor. <laughs> and I went, oh, my cover's blown. <laughs> what are they going to expect from me now? <laughs> and I got that whole gamut of looks from around the room. A whole group of ragtag different people from every different background. And you could tell the ones that were kind of lapsed Catholics and former Lutherans and stuff, because those were the ones who immediately got that look on their face of, oh, I should really go back to church. <laughs> but there was a lot of others who just kind of looked at me with that kind of look in their eyes of like, I have no idea what it is that that is or really what it is that you do. And that was kind of comforting, actually. So she introduced me, and, and, then, and then she said, hey, you know, as long as we're all kind of here and I've got everybody's attention, do you think you could, like, I don't know, like, just lead us in, like, a prayer or something here just, just for, for our, uh, the sake of, of my ex-husband? And sure. So we looked around this circle of dear people with deer in their headlights, kind of eyes, and and broken spirits, and cigarettes hanging out of their mouths, and a beer in a hand, and I just said, yeah, why don't we, let's just kind of stand in a circle here, and I, and I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm just going to say a few words to God, and I want you to know that the, the God I'm praying to is, is a God who loves you, and, and has mercy on you, and, and, uh, and, and, and mercy on me too, and so we're just, we're just going to pray to him right now, so, so that's what we did. We gathered in that circle, and I just started with a few words, and then I said, hey, you know what? Anything that you want to say, if you just want to say something, 
whatever it is that just kind of comes to your heart, just feel free. Just, we're, we're, it's a safe place here in the garage. Just, just go ahead and kind of say whatever you want to say. And one after another, people would start saying things like, hey, God, um, take care of Todd up there. And with whatever words they could come up with to talk about, they would share these words. And they would try to make sense of all this as we tried to make sense of it together. And there we were having church in the garage across the street with a group of people who I probably would not normally be hanging out with. Friends, I don't want you to think I'm the hero of this story because I'm sure not. The only hero is Jesus. And he was the one who loved each of these people dearly enough that that's why he showed up. He was there before I ever got there. And as we shared together and as we listened to one another, God's presence was there. And some tears were shed and some prayers were lifted. And when we were done, this big barrel bear of a guy with tattoos down both arms and a big gnarly beard walks over to me and says, you're all right. Gave me a big hug. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Friends, Jesus is the hero of the story because Jesus doesn't make any differentiation between the pastor across the street and the broken people on the other side of the street because we're all broken. He sees every one of us through the same lens. The lens of his love and the recognition that we are broken and we are sinners, and we need his grace. And it's not that the Pharisees needed grace any less, it's just they didn't see it. And it's not that the tax collectors were such swell people that that's why Jesus wanted to be with them was just to excuse everything that they were doing wrong. Not at all. He came to call these dear people out of God's love to repentance. Now, what does that mean to be called to repentance? I think sometimes we get really goofy ideas about that. I think sometimes in our mind, the number one thing we think of when it comes to repentance is, I'm going to stop doing that sin. I'll just stop doing that sin, and that's all that God really wants, is for me to just stop doing all the bad things I'm doing. There's so much more to it than that. Because repentance is about turning away from something, but it's also about turning towards someone. And Jesus' biggest hope and desire as he's calling people to repentance is not just that they stop doing the bad things, but that they start seeing their life totally differently. They start seeing Jesus for who he really is and how much he really loves them and how much he really desires for them to have a relationship for eternity. He wants them to see him and say, look, nothing else can compare. Just keep your eyes focused on me. That's his desire for repentance for us, for the Pharisees and, and for the tax collectors and everybody in between. Now, we ought to be careful even in our own sense because it's easy from that place of humility to make a really false humility statement, which is, well, boy, you're right, Pastor Darren. I sure am glad I'm not like those Pharisees. And we sound just like the Pharisee, don't we? Because the ground at the foot of the cross is level, folks. 
God calls us to that place. And from wherever it is he calls us, we come there in the same condition. Because Jesus sees us as we are. And his diagnosis for us is the same for every one of us. We have a terminal illness called sin. And it will kill us. And it is killing us. And it destroys our lives and destroys other people's lives. And Jesus is the only cure. He knows it. And he is the doctor who can perfectly diagnose every single one of us. And he does it with a heart of love to heal us. And he makes no distinction of worth or distinction of savability or who's supposed to get it but who really isn't worth it. He sees us through the eyes of his father. The same eyes that he calls us to see one another. As broken sinners but human beings of immeasurable worth. So much worth that the Father sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, giving up the most precious thing he could for our sake out of his deep, deep love for us. And he sees all the ugly produce that we are through a different lens. And he's willing to take us right from that place that we are and make us into something beautiful. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because he gives that to us as a gift. I just want to receive that gift today. And I want to be people more and more in my own life and more and more in our congregation who see people the way Jesus did. And we'll mess up and we'll screw up and I'm sure we won't get this all right, but if we're going to live into our name as a community of grace, we've got to start by having grace with one another and then grace with every person who walks through the doors of this place, no matter where their background is, no matter what their path is, to see them just as fellow sojourners, people on a journey. Let's ask God for that heart today for him to show us his heart that way as we see the people around us so that people can feel at home here, but we can also bring Jesus and his love to other people so that he can be at home in their hearts and we can make home together as family. So let's pray. Jesus, you bridged the gap the gap between our sinful brokenness and the perfection of God. And there's no way that we could do that ourselves. And every attempt of ours looks foolish and silly, especially when we just try to compare ourselves to one another. Lord, the truth is we are all beggars just trying to point other beggars to where the bread is. Lord, thank you for providing the bread, your son, Jesus Christ, the bread of life for each and every one of us, an invitation to partake of it, every single one of us, to be made whole, to be brought into a community of other broken people that are fitted together just the way that you desire them to be so that we can then share and shine and reflect that love to others 
Help us, Lord, to not see our neighbors and the community around us as the them, but to see them as us. Help us to not approach the world around us with some sense of, of we've got it all figured out and we just want to show you where you've got it all wrong. But instead to show nothing but you, Jesus. To just go, hey, I am so busted and broken up myself. And the only place that I found wholeness and, and healing and unconditional love is through Jesus. And I know he wants that for you too. Lord, give us that kind of humility to see others as you see them, to see ourselves as you see us, and to worship you as the Holy One who is high and lifted up. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.